Good morning, good afternoon. How you doing there today? This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. Hope you're having a wonderful day today. It is the day after April Fools, April 2nd. Hopefully nobody got a uh, a bag of flaming dog crap on your lawn or you know, welded your car door shut or anything like that. Hopefully everybody was able to, um, you know, if you did play a prank, hopefully it wasn't too bad. And if it was bad, send us, send it in, let it, let us know, um, how, (laughs) what, what you did. Um, so today we're going to be having a little bit of a discussion about inclusion, diversity, um, within a new film that was put out by Pixar. Um, I believe it is called Turning Red. And we're just going to be discussing how wonderful it is to see different, um, I guess you could say different people groups put into animated films where kids can kind of see themselves. So this uh, this kind of started off a little while ago. Uh, in my studio here, I've got a lovely little little poster showcasing all of my superheroes from the DC universe from back in the day. Now, this was an artist that was pretty prominent or a group of artists that were pretty prominent in the 80s. Um, actually probably late 70s, 80s through into the 90s where all of them were drawn in this sort of cool, very realistic style. Not like Alex Ross, but um, very, very still cartoony. But um, you, if anybody saw this, they would recognize it as sort of like the artwork from the Super Friends, as it were. So back in the day. So anyways, I've got this huge poster on my wall. I'm in the studio here and I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, okay, while I'm, you know, working out because it's right next to my exercise bike, I'm thinking, man, you know, how many people here that look like me? I am a black individual myself, uh, families from the Caribbean, and I grew up loving these superheroes. I grew up loving fan fiction, comic books, science fiction, horror, you name it. Um, the, uh, the whims of fancy, as you were. And I've always wondered. You know, growing up, we didn't see a lot of people that looked like me in the fandoms out there. I mean, you had Mr. T, you had Bill Cosby in the 80s, you had Richard Pryor, but you didn't have a lot of superheroes. And so looking at my poster, I'm thinking, okay, well, let me see who I could find on here that isn't blue-eyed, blonde hair, black hair. And I found one character, Cyborg. So in the DC Universe, for the longest period of time, um, you had Cyborg, then you also had... Um, I believe it was another Green Lantern, uh, black gentleman, um, and that was about it. And then later on, the other iterations of Batman in the live-action film in the 60s, you had Eartha Kitt as Catwoman, um, you had the horrendous Halle Berry movie, which was just god-awful. Then you also had, um, what else did we have? We had, we had, um... Firestorm later on in the comic books would be revamped and rebooted as a black, excuse me, individual. So we, you, I mean, on one hand, that's about just about five or so individuals, and that was about it. So you didn't have a lot, <clears throat> if any, representation a lot of times. Now that didn't mean that these characters were flawed, and that somehow the creators were racist or bigots or things of that nature. It just meant that. You know, if you are, you know, if you're creating something, um, a lot of the times you're going to create it to look like you, you know. Um, Later on down the line, we would come up with, you would see characters such as Spawn, created by Todd McFarlane. And you would see the universe of, just let me look it up here real quick. 
Um, I like Static, uh, Black Lightning, you know, these sort of characters. So, um, yeah, so growing up, you didn't see quite a, quite a lot. And then as we head into the 2000s, you start to see a little bit of a change with shows like uh, Smallville. They bring in um, the Black Cyborg character for the Smallville series that ran from 2000 to, I believe, 2010. Uh, but that was that was about it. You had Blade. You know, Wesley Snipes uh, played Blade in the in the in the late '90s, which was pretty popular. Uh, we had the Spawn live action movie. It wasn't that great, but it was something. You know, so there there was always these little bits and pieces of um, of um, inclusion, if you would. All right, and so now that we have Turning Red, right, which is basically uh, let me see. Released in 2022. It's a family comedy. It runs for about an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, it stars May Lee, which is a 13-year-old girl who is torn between being her mother's obedient daughter and the chaos of her youth. As if that weren't enough, she gets she whenever she gets too excited, she turns into a big red panda. So, one of the things about the... Um, the, the I guess the storyline in this is that the controversy over Turning Red is that there's a lot of allusions as well as just blatant, um, you know, comparisons to her turning red to her period and things of that nature. And a lot of parents got sort of in uproar, in uproar about that. Um, the fact that she is a 13-year-old girl and she's also becoming, um, you know, coming into her own and discovering boys. There's also the aspects that um, she has a little bit of a of a battle with her parents and um, they delve into a lot of you know generational trauma and definitely things that happen in various different various various societies where parents are the hierarchy and the the matriarchal sort of system where you don't question and you don't you know talk back and you just you're obedient and you just say yes no you know and you know you jump whenever they call kind of thing whenever it comes to your parents in certain cultures but what we're going to be talking about today is just the the level of inclusion. Oh, and there's also controversy, I guess, due to the um, spiritual nature of the of the of the story um, when she becomes a panda, and how a lot of pe- people are very not too impressed with all of that. So, nonetheless, um, you know, I'll save those those criticisms for other people. Today, we're just going to be chatting about what it means to have stories and movies and characters and comic books that look and sound le- that look like you, that you can relate to. And so, we're l- we'll just take a look at one of the um, articles that I was checking out here. Uh, let me see. So. There you go. All right. Okay, so first I just want to start off by saying that a couple years ago when Black Panther debuted to one of the largest, biggest box office openings ever, there was a theory within Hollywood that a all-black cast could not sell. There was a theory or a mindset that if you were to put people of color as the stars, the protagonists, the antagonists, uh, supporting cast, and have very little to almost no um, you know, uh, white people in it or people who are Caucasian, your film would flop. And Black Panther just, pardon me, knocked that on its ass and basically showed people, hey, you know what? We can put people in these films and they don't have to 
you know, fall into a stereotype. They can be fully fleshed characters with backstories and histories and loves and, and you know, and just, just, just depth of character. And then we saw that with Shang-Chi that was released just last year. My, my, um, my Asian friend, Dennis, in particular, went to the movie and he told me, as an Asian Canadian, he said that what that movie did for him was the same thing as what you know, uh, Black Panther did for me, which is showing yourself on the screen in a way that hadn't been represented in, in almost forever. You, it wasn't a bit role, it wasn't the, the funny sidekick, it wasn't the tragic you know, um, backstory. He wasn't from jail. He wasn't a drug dealer. He wasn't a thug. He was somebody that had um, real character, real chops, and they gave him just this beautiful array of stories to play in and have complex narratives about his relationship with his father and his parents. And, and just to see that emboldens a child and makes you feel like, damn, you know, I could be that too. I could, I could literally... I'm, I'm just the same as everybody else, regardless of of what your your background might be. And, and of course, when you're when you have a background that is different from where you're born. So if you're first generation, um, you know, American, Canadian, or whatever the case might be, there is a part of assimilation that takes you away from your your native land, as it were. So if your parents are from a different country, you're born into the country that they moved to, that they escaped from, be it for economic reasons, for civil war, whatever the case was, you're always stuck between this feeling of, okay, I'm, I was born here, but I'm not like the people that are traditionally here. Now, let's, let's keep it real. If you're in North America, nobody, unless you have indigenous blood in you, is from, was actually, we're all from somewhere else. We all come from somewhere different. And the attitude that you don't belong because you have darker skin or because you wear a job or, wear, or because you eat a different food or you speak with a different accent is utter nonsense and complete bullshit. But such is the world we live in if you are a part of the, um, I will never use the word minority, but ethnic, you know, the smaller ethnic group in the country that you live in. And so that translates to film, music, TV, you name it, when you're not a part of that conversation, you don't see yourself, it's very hard to feel like you belong. And I can definitely attest to that growing up, where a lot of the times I'm the only black person in the room. A lot of the, you know, um, courses, classes I would take in post-secondary as well as even in, in, in high school, you know, you're one of a few, if not one of many. And that can create a complex where you feel, damn, do I even, do I even belong? You know, and so things, when I was growing up, things that spoke to me was like hip hop and basketball and, and um, various mediums that were out there and various subcultures that allowed me to, to see myself. And so in looking that up, uh, we saw this article here on in Entertainment News. Uh, so what turning red means to me as a AAPI parent. So I'm not quite sure what that acronym means, but we'll look it up here. But it was written by Clarissa Cruz. Maybe real revelation happens in everyday suburbia. There's a scene in Pixar's Turning Red, Disney Plus, out today, where the main character's mother invites her daughter's besties over for dinner. She enthusiastically accepts for, for Mr. Lee's cooking. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a small moment, but the normalcy of a white tween enjoying her Chinese friend's native dish wasn't lost on me. Growing up in Florida in the 80s, it never occurred 
to me or my parents to serve Filipino food when my friends came over. We reflexively ordered Domino's, sure that our guests wouldn't want to eat our typical family dinner, which was fragrant and funky. Rodent lint, uh, rodent lint with stewed pork and fish sauce and vinegary condiments. So cheese pizza and cinnamon, st- cinnamon twist it was. Flash forward for 30 years and I'm watching Turning Red with my preschool age daughter. Yes, I know, she's probably too young. But it couldn't be worse than the time she accidentally took in Scarface, an occupational hazard when you work for Entertainment Weekly. I found myself welling up multiple times during Pixar's latest, which centers on May Rosalind Chan as a proudly nerdy Chinese-Canadian 13-year-old, her traditional parents, and her gang of supportive friends. I couldn't get over how confident May was, how easily she moved between cultures, how there was a movie, a huge studio, movie no less, starring a family that looked and acted a lot like the one I grew up in. As EW critic Leah Granbalt writes, Turning Red is most notably for how natural it forefronts and celebrates Asian culture, and the easy quality with which it treats its female characters. It's a sentiment I've felt more often in the last couple of years. Disney has released a string of films featuring powerful Asian females, whether it's Mulan's stoic, graceful heroine, Rhea and the Last Dragon Warrior Princess, and her sidekick, or the women of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I can never pronounce this actor's name, so I'm not even going to try. The actor who plays Katie and Meng, Menger Zan as Shang-Chi's sister. Zing Zialang, I hope I said that right, uh, who I found way more intimidating and capable than her, t- than her um, tutorial brother. And not one of them needs a prince for their happy endings. Between those movies and Turning Red, my three-year-old daughter and her six-year-old brother have already seen more Asian role models on screen than I ever did growing up. For someone who still remembers the hot shame of watching 16 Candles at a sleepover, my friends cackling at Luke Long Duck Dong, this is huge. Still, there's plenty more work to be done. According to the 2021 study by USC's Anabring Inclusion Initiative, Asian and Pacific Islanders accounted for less than 6% of speaking roles and less than 4% of leads and co-leads in Hollywood films. Of course, Turning Red is about more than representation. It's also about normalizing the emotional and physical messiness of puberty, including those cinematic boundaries that writer-director Domi Shai, the first woman to helm a Pixar film, wants to cross. I wish I had a film like this when I was May's age. Shy uh, 34 tells EW of the film's reference to menstruation. For a lot of women and girls, this is still not talked about that much. And I think that was part of my motivation for having that scene in the movie. So that there, so that these conversations can happen. That talk is still a few years off for my daughter and me. But when it's time, I'm happy Shy's movie will be around to light the way. What makes me more happier, it won't be the only one. So yeah, um, it's pretty cool, you know, I mean, to see that Asian, American, Pacific Islanders, um, East Indian um, individuals, um, if we see in the new show, Bridgerton, that's, um, that's on Netflix right now, we're seeing representation there. So, I mean, it is far and few between, because if we're going to be honest, there's not a lot of that out there, but it is changing. And like I was saying before, when I was coming up, you had the archetypes like your John Waynes and your Clark Gables and I mean, I'm not 80, sorry. Um, you had, but you had these sort of templates that were fit into this mold that, that, that excluded, that, um, excluded people of color. 
or at least had us on the margins. And so we would see us, we would see ourselves represented in a way that was either showcasing the greatness of other races and other cultures while sort of downplaying or subjective, subjectivizing, if that's even a word, our own. We would look at ourselves and think, why can't I be the prince? You know, every Disney film I saw growing up, I cannot recall somebody who looked like me. And the only way I could actually find myself, I mean, heck, even The Lion King, for crying out loud, was voiced by um, by a white actor. <laughs> I, at least they had um, uh, James Earl Jones, Simba, you know, when he was uh, when he was yelling at Simba. It was just, oh man, it's beautiful. But all that to say, you didn't have yourself represented. You couldn't see what you looked like. What, you couldn't see yourself as being the hero. You couldn't see yourself as being the love interest. You couldn't envision yourself as the person that could be the hero, the one who saves the day. Um, and it, it does take a bit of a toll. And so I think you have to give it up for films like Red, for films like, you know, um, you know Justice League that, that showcased, at least the Snyder Cut anyways, that had um, Cyborg as a more prominent role as a, um, a leading black character in that film is kind of like the heart of it that we're showcased in not just our struggles and that's one of the the weird things when it comes to Hollywood when it comes to entertainment is that I read a long time ago when I know Chris Rock is making the news for all the wrong reasons due to the, the infamous slap heard around the world from Will Smith at the Oscars last week but he was stating that in his neighborhood he had you know Jay-Z Eddie Murphy, some really prominent black people that were in his neighborhood. And then his dentist lives in a gated community as well. And he said, you know who's in his, in his, um, in the dentist gated community? Other dentists. And so he was kind of showing this juxtaposition of if you are somebody of color, particularly in America, particularly in, in Canada, your representation on film has to be something mystical, magical. You have to free all the slaves. You have to start the civil rights movement. You have to invent, you know, um, ridiculous calculations for the space shuttle um, with, um, you know, with coding. You have to, you know, lead a, um, a troop of people out of slavery. Basically, you have to be almost superheroine or superhero-like to be considered for any sort of attribute of, of you know, of just of looking up to you with, with courage. Whereas, you know, other people from other cultures just have to be themselves. They can exist within a framework that shows them just being normal. And I think that's one of the appeals that you saw with somebody like a Kanye West, for example, somebody who came into the game, the rap game in particular, and showcased that he wasn't a killer. He did come from a two-parent household. His mom was, you know, uh, an English major, and he didn't sell drugs, and he wasn't, but he showcased the normality and somewhat almost boring existence of black people in a, in a lot of ways. Like it doesn't have to be so out there and so fantastical that the only way to represent it is you have to either play Thurgood Marshall or Black Panther or Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. Like you could be somebody who is an inventor. Like I did a, a, a blog post on the creator of Super Soaker. He's a black engineer. His name is, let me just see if I can get it. Where is he here? Ah. Hold up. Um, 
Lionel George Johnson. I mean, why, why hasn't somebody made a movie about that guy, right? I mean, he, he created the, the Super Soaker. It sold hundreds of millions of dollars worth of product. You know, I mean, every kid from the 80s and the 90s can tell you if they had a Super Soaker or not. They're still selling today, and barely anybody knows about him. Barely anybody's talked about him or given him his, his just due or his flowers, so to speak, you know? So representation is super important. It's super relevant, in particular for kids of color, particular for kids of backgrounds that have been marginalized, been shown to be, you know, terrorists or shown to be clowns or put on through a minstrel show. You know, um, it's it's something that if we're if we're going to be honest about moving forward with bringing in producers and writers and directors and animators and people on the big screen and in, and on the small screen and and um, through these through these areas we need to sort of showcase and see ourselves you know and that, that and I think that brings me back to the superhero thing which is the one thing that that's really sort of disheartening though is to see people complain about the movie and criticize it and not see you know the good that it's doing and in part it's part of the free market right if you don't like something you don't have to go and see it but if we're going to see any change we can't just whine and complain when we don't see ourselves represented. We have to go out and say, okay, well, how can I be a part of that change and create something with people that look like me and not make it the, the basis of that character being that they're black or they're Asian or they're gay or they're, they're disabled or they have some sort of abnormality or some sort of, you know, whatever, and not make white characters or, um, you know, Caucasian characters the villain. But it's just... They just happen to be black. Like you have a, you could have a character who's a superhero. He's, he just happens to be gay. He just happens to be Asian, right? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think when we, when we get past the, the idea of trying to, I almost hate saying this, but like sort of preach, but just showcase just reality, you know, uh, store owners that happen to be, you know, trans or a, a fighter, a fighter pilot who happens to be a woman, you know, or happens to be indigenous or whatever the case is. So, yeah, Turning Red is one of those movies that when you take a look at it and you kind of look past a lot of the the controversy that's that's causing, you can see at the heart of it a, sh a show that's showcasing people from different cultures, from different religions, from different ways of life that even if you don't necessarily connect with that you can see on a base level they're they're showcasing themselves and their their culture right so yeah hopefully you check it out it was uh, i mean obviously the demograph that they're trying to hit is for the the tween type of age range i mean i'm you know my 40s so obviously it's not for me but i found it very entertaining and i was able to take away a lot of a lot of stuff from it that if you do feed into the controversy of it, it can kind of take away from how, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I think, you know, just, just showing that it's okay to have um, the ability to showcase other characters in a way that's just normal. You know, just a teen girl going through puberty, that is something that every woman on earth can relate to. Right, that's something that everybody could sort of have a have a sort of a discussion about, right? So, yeah, hopefully, um, 
You guys are having a great day. Thanks for listening. Take care. Be good to know one another out there. Oh, just remember you can find um, the Marketplace of Ideas podcast wherever you get your podcast from Apple to Google to Stitcher Play to uh, you name it, wherever you get your podcast. So until next time, take care and stay safe out there.